welcome to Tales from the First Tee. I'm your host, Rich Easton, broadcasting from beautiful Charleston, South Carolina. If you're a new listener, welcome. If you're a returning listener, thanks for coming back. Tales has been downloaded in over 250 cities in 15 countries worldwide. So I really appreciate the support, and I hope you like golf stories as much as I like telling them. In this episode, I'm going to talk about my favorite golf movies of all time. Why, when they come on television, even sometimes channels with commercials, I'll stop and I'll watch because they just hold a place in my heart. There's something about them. The sound bites, certain phrases are just um, define my life in golf. And I understand why certain people don't like golf movies. If you're not a golfer, for the most part, it's got to be the most boring sport in the world with the exception of Caddyshack and Happy Gilmore, which are really comedies that have a golf theme behind them. Most other golf movies can put you asleep, but not me. When I see movies like Tin Cup, The Legend of Bagger Vance, the greatest game ever played, it resonates with me. They all have something in common. And so I'll talk to these movies, but first... I want to tell a story that happened to me on the first tee at Charleston National. So if you're driving, relax. Keep your eyes on the road. If you're not, sit down. Grab your favorite libation. Smoke your favorite brand or your favorite strand. Because if you don't mind, I'd like to share another story. I worked the first tee as a starter at Charleston National just about every Friday morning at the crack of dawn. I see a lot of early morning regulars like Willie, Jimmy, Coe, and Marvin, who typically are the first foursome out. These guys are in their 70s, and they shoot their age almost every weekend. Or typically they're followed by the Pullman group, you know, a a bunch of people that live a few doors down from the clubhouse, the nicest people. Or Bobby Orr and the walking octogenarians. These guys come up with push carts and they walk 18 holes every weekend. And they make me feel horrible about sitting in a cart when I play golf. Then there's the Mike Kaufman group. Typically four to eight guys that come in sometime during the middle of the morning. I mean, Mike is like a natural born leader. He's the chillest guy who makes retirement look attractive. And he sets up the foursomes and guys always come to play with him. And they they tend to have a really good game when they play. And typically as I get to the end of the morning comes one of my favorite foursomes of all times, Chip Casey, Jake and Will. These guys always have Benjamins and Bourbons to juice up their round. There is never an unhappy cart girl when these guys are on the course. And cart girls, that's an entirely different episode that I'll tell sometime in the future. 
I mean, the things that some of these girls say and do and don't say to make tips, I find fascinating. They're really good at what they do. They know what their assets are. But every once in a while, I get to meet new people in for a Charleston visit, a bachelor party, a wedding, a reunion, a COVID getaway, or the new remote work office for a lot of New Yorkers. This one weekend, I happened to meet a gentleman who walked up to me smiling and happy as can be and introduced himself. Hello, senor. My name is Luis Gonzalez. I am visiting from Bethesda, Maryland. Thank you for letting me play your golf course. When I heard him say that, I just had a smile. It reminded me of the Princess Bride. Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Luis had a heavy Spanish influence, broken English accent. Midlife guy, five foot seven, stocky guy. Looked like he worked with his hands for years. I mean, he had baseball mitt size hands. We didn't shake hands, you know, because of COVID. But I guessed it would have been like a vice grip handshake. Luis signed up as a single at the clubhouse, and on paper they had him playing with a threesome of ladies, which is fine. But I also noticed there were three other guys, middle-aged guys, who play the course regularly, who were out there, they didn't have a foursome. So I decided to make the call, you know, like a quarterback standing up, looking at the line of scrimmage, and calling an audible. Manny with plenty of time on the snap clock. Omaha! So I make the call and I decide to pair Louise with these guys. Seemed like similar age. They had local knowledge of the course. So that I thought that would enhance his playing experience. So Louise immediately walks up to the three guys, introduces himself the way he introduced himself to me. He's like, hello, I am Louise. I am from Bethesda, Maryland, and I am on vacation. I look forward to playing with you. <laughs> I'm thinking this guy is a card. So they go off on the first tee. He hits a respectable drive, so I could see he's played before quite a bit. And they go off. Typically during the day, when I start people, I'm going to see them when they make the turn going from 9 to 10 because they have to pass by kind of where I'm stationed. So I say goodbye to him. He waves, and he goes off and starts playing. Most of the time, when I see guys passing going to the 10th, They'll give me a wave. Some guys that I know will even slow down and tell me how they're doing in their match. But for the most part, guys go by, give me a wave, and I give them my common peace sign, which they usually respond to with another peace sign and a smile. But when Luis came by with the foursome he was playing with, he was driving the cart, he slows down and he comes up to me and he is so enthusiastic telling me how he likes the guys he's paired with and how much he loves the course and says, I come back Sunday, which I replied, hey, can't wait to see you. Now, I'm not working on Sunday, but I just thought that was the proper reply. And off he went to the 10th tee box. Saturday happened to go really quickly for me. I mean, it was another full tee sheet, which I love because I get to talk to people and it just keeps me busy. There were some bachelor parties at the end of my shift. So when they were done, 
I went out to play nine holes. And that's just because it's part of the reason that most of us work the golf course, the love of the game. So when I left the course after playing nine holes, I definitely left meat on the bone. I needed to work on my putting. After another Saturday night of celebrating life, I wake up Sunday morning. I rolled out of bed and decided I want to walk the back nine just to pick up where I left off from Saturday. I need to work on my putting. So I get out and I decide I'm going to walk. So I'm walking and playing the back nine. And playing the back nine in the morning for me by myself is like another version of church to me. Church, synagogue, mosque, whatever label you want to put on the place where you connect to a higher level, that's where I go when I walk alone and I play golf. Typically, when I'm walking on my own and I putt out on the last hole, I put my mind and my body in a place that few other experiences can take me. Now on this Sunday, while walking off the 18th, my body was talking to me. It had taken enough torque and hill climbing that it needed. I mean, I typically, when I'm playing and I don't hit the best shot, I throw down another ball. I hit another shot. So while I'm only playing nine holes, to me, it was like playing at least 18 holes. So I was done toast. So I'm walking off the 18th and I'm walking back to my car and between the 18th and my car is the starter station and a practice green. I walk up to the practice green and I said, let me just throw down a few more balls. I just want to puddle. I started getting it and I just wanted to get that feel back in my hands. I wanted to get that confidence again. That's because my putting was still a little suspect. So my Scotty Cameron was starting to show signs of separation. I thought I'd take it for couples therapy, which for me is the practice green. Ten minutes into my post-round practice session, I hear this familiar voice speaking with a Spanish accent, and he's speaking to the starter, Lauren, a man of very few words. Lauren was saying how he doesn't like to send out singles at 10, 10.30 in the morning on a Sunday, so he had to wait until other golfers came to the tee box. I look over, and I see Luis Gonzalez. And I said, Luis. And he goes, Senor, how are you? And I'm like, I'm doing great. Just played. What's you up to? He goes, I have to wait for others before I can play. And I have an appointment. I got to go with my wife. We're going to go shopping this afternoon. Well, I know what that's like. And I'm like, I walk up to Lauren and I'm like, hey, Lauren, what does it look like on the T-sheet? And Lauren's like, hey, looks like it's all foursomes for the next hour. And I can't send this guy out by himself. At this point, my body was talking to me. It wanted to quit. I just wanted to head over to Tracy's for a glass of something to kill the pain. Instead, I look over at Luis and I said, Hey, do you mind playing with a hack? And his eyes lit up and he goes, Senor, you want to play? I'm like, yeah, come on, let's go out and play. So I walk over to Lauren and go, hey, Lauren, now we have a twosome. Can we get out? And there is this honor amongst thieves between starters. We know what it's like to get out. We know why we're doing the starter job so we can get out and play. And Lauren, in his very few words, looked at me and goes, okay. <laughs> so 
Luis and I go to the first tee box. I'm still walking. He's got his cart. Luis was a pretty good golfer, and you can tell he just loved the game. Every time he swung the club and hit the ball, his visceral reaction would tell you exactly how he felt about the shot. Ay caramba, Luis, or fantastic. I mean, I was laughing inside. Look, and I know how I feel when I hit a good shot, you know? I feel fantastic, or when I hit a bad shot, I feel ay caramba, but I don't say it out loud. But he does, which made it that more interesting to play with him. We get to the third hole, which at Charleston National is a dogleg right with all kinds of trouble. So there is a foursome that we've caught up to in front of us, just right off the tee box. And it looks like there might be another foursome on the green because these guys are waiting and waiting. So we've got some time. So in that time, Luis starts telling me about his life story. He's born in Colombia, South America. Married early, has two adult children, divorced after 20 years of marriage because he said, you know, senor, people grow apart, which I understand. He was an accountant for two companies and he could play five different instruments. Mind you, I got all this in the time that we're waiting. He rekindles a relationship with a childhood sweetheart after she left Colombia for like 20 years, got married, had a son got divorced, came back to Columbia on vacation, and somehow she hooked up with Louise and fireworks ensued. They get married. So they've been married for quite some time. And as I've said in other stories in previous podcasts, I enjoy asking questions and learning about somebody's life. But typically that happens on the 19th tee box in the bar with me. Typically, it doesn't happen on the course because I like to get in a rhythm of playing. But here we have this delay and Luis wants to talk. And so he tells me his life story. And then after he tells it to me, the thing that he wanted to tell me, most importantly to him, is could you imagine I play five instruments and he doesn't read music? Now, I could relate to that. But what hits me is that, what is a musician supposed to look like? So I ask him. He just said, not me, senor. I look like an accountant. Isn't it funny how people see themselves? To me, a musician is anybody who picks up an instrument and can play. And when I say play, I mean someone who could sit for hours getting enjoyment in the feel and the sound of that instrument. And if others like what they hear, they'll go on and say, that guy has musical talent. And if people pay to hear that person play, they'll say, yeah, that's a professional musician. Either way, there's no look of a musician. It's how you choose to interact with the instrument. It's how you choose to label yourself. And who really cares? If you can play a flute out of your ass and hit a few good notes, yeah, you're making music. You're a musician. So by the time Luis and I get to the 6T box, my body is yelling for some type of painkiller. The cart girl happens to come by, and Luis would not take no for an answer when he offered to buy me a beer or two. He was so thankful that I happened to be at the first tee to help him get off onto the course. I was thrilled to be my own personal ambassador of goodwill and 
I just kind of like this guy. So at this point, because it was really starting to slow up, and it tends to do that on weekends, we're kind of waiting on every shot, this twosome catches up with us. So I asked them to join us on the 6T box. And we get to the 6 green, and I look at Luis, and I said, Luis, I've had as much as my body can take. Thank you for taking the time to play with me. And these other two guys are really nice. So I get Luis hooked up with these two guys who were supposed to be a foursome on the tee sheet. And he goes off and plays with them. And I walk over to Tracy's limping, but knowing this was a great experience. I met somebody new with a story. And I really enjoy things like that. I mean, it just makes my life richer. I see golfers at the first tee all the time with less than four players. When I suggest a blind partnership, I always look for the golfers to show interest and enthusiasm in meeting somebody new. I mean, for fuck's sake, you have the greatest thing in common, golf. So tee it up, meet some new people, because you just never know. Back to my story about my favorite golf movies. Written words don't resonate with me as visceral as a good soundbite and visual representation. That's why golf movies have made an impact on me far greater than any books on golf. Not all golf movies made my list of the best ever. I mean, I sat and watched movies like Seve the Movie, Who's Your Caddy? Hole-in-One, Golf Punks, Par 6, Caddyshack 2, which was so disappointing. Didn't have any of the original players, and it was just horribly written. And then the Bobby Jones story, which I really wanted to like. It had almost all of the components of a good golf movie. It had a box office star or two, Jim Cavazell. And I, I just butchered his name, but Jim, you know, he's, he's made some other movies. I'd say he's an A or a B lister. I mean, the story was about an underdog overcoming adversity. Bobby Jones never goes pro. He stays as an amateur and he wins big tournaments. There's a good supporting cast of known actors, but something was missing. Could it be the writing? Could it be the directing? Could it be a weak music score? All I know is I could care less about whether Bobby Jones wins or loses to Walter Hagen. I don't care. And by the way, I like the Walter Hagen character better in The Legend of Bagger Vance. So this movie was a dud to me. I was introduced to golf at a young age. And quite frankly, to me... It was the most boring sport on television. I mean, it was originally it was black and white for all you young kids. That's like no color. But it was black and white, horrible telecast. They didn't have the cameras. They didn't have any of the aerial views. They didn't have announcers that would uh, make it interesting. So it was boring. And quite frankly, to me, it was unsexy. You know, things like football basketball, lacrosse, these things were cool. 
And to me, that's what I was interested all the way up into my 20s. And then along comes the movie Caddyshack in 1980. This had a cast of comedy stars. This was a comedy built around golf. Good writers, good ad-libbers. I mean, Bill Murray. What an incredible Cinderella story. This unknown comes out of nowhere to lead the pack. For this young Cinderella who's come out of nowhere. The crowd is just on its feet here. He's a Cinderella boy. Uh, tears in his eyes, I guess, as he, as he lines up this last shot. This crowd has gone deadly silent. Cinderella story out of nowhere. A former greenskeeper now about to become the Masters champion. <clears throat> it looks like I'm a wreck. It's in the hole! It's in the hole! Lore has it that he ad-libbed that entire scene. Gunga Galunga. And I say, hey, Lama, hey, how about a little something, you know, for the effort, you know. And he says, oh, uh, there won't be any money. But when you die on your deathbed, you will receive total consciousness. So I got that going for me, which is nice. And the line, and I got that going for me, which is nice, I hear all the time, not just on a golf course, but everywhere. Now, Chevy Chase also in this movie, I thought, did the best of any movie, even better than Fletch, because he played against Bill Murray, Ted Knight, and I thought he did a great job. Drugs, Danny? Every day. Good. Stop thinking. Let things happen be the ball but bill and chevy together in a scene man that was priceless i think i'll drop by you drop by my place anytime Good. what's your address over there you're on briar right briar uh-huh two you got a pool over there we have a pond in the back we have a pool and a pond a pond would be good for you i mean the entire cast was great but to me rodney dangerfield stole the show and tell her cook this is low-grade dog food, all right? This steak still has marks where the jockey was hitting it. <laughs> oh, somebody stepping a duck? <laughs> all right, you must have been something before electricity, huh? <laughs> oh, wonderful boy. Nice boy, all right? He's a good boy, I'll tell you. Now I know why tigers eat their young. Well, the last time I saw a mouth like that, it had a hook in it. Hey, everybody, we're all going to get late. <laughs> So after 1980 and the hit Caddyshack, there were a lot of golf movies that were produced, but they were horrible. So 19 years later, out comes a new golf comedy. And man, it was so different and awesome. For 400 years, golf has been a gentleman's game, a game of tradition, etiquette, and above all, sportsmanship. Until now. Y'all ready for this? Yeah! Meet Happy Gilmore. That's, that's super. He's got the swing. He's got the drive. He shoots, he scores! He's got the balls. Oh, God, I hurt a little, but I'm all right. Why don't, I guess it's the new tour sensation, Happy Gilmore. Hey, if I saw myself in clothes like those, I'd have to kick my own ass. I mean, the theme of this movie was so different. 
Happy Gilmore takes the idea of making coin from playing pro golf and then throws in a curve. What if you took a foul-mouthed, temper tantrum hockey player who had to save his grandmother's house from foreclosure and you put him out on a golf course and you put him out in the golf circuit? I mean, it was so funny. Now, you might not like Adam Sandler. I mean, it seems to me like almost every movie he makes, he's the same character. But you know what you get when you're going to see Adam Sandler, except for the recent movie he just made about a guy in the diamond industry. He's a comedian, and that's what he does. And this was so odd and so different, I think it took everybody by storm. And again, so many quotable lines, especially when he's going to play golf with Bob Barker. And you think, okay, here's a celebrity golf outing. But you know, with him, everything goes sideways. Damn you people, this is golf! I'm Bob Barker. Looks like you and I are going to be playing together today. Oh. This guy sucks. All right, let's go. Whenever I get to the first tee box and I hear somebody say, looks like we're going to be playing together today, I know they saw Happy Gilmore. In the same year that we get Happy Gilmore, another great golf movie comes out, Tin Cup. This is a thinly veiled love story between Kevin Costner and Rene Russo. We desperately want Tin Cup to win, but we knew he wasn't playing with a full deck, so we get this incredible story about this guy who's a great golfer who works at a driving range and gives lessons and is probably better than almost any golfer on the tour, but he's a head case and it's a great cast. It's great writing cameos from pro golfers and announcers that uh, bring validity to it and a musical score that brings it all together. Fourth shot. Oh, honey. Jimmy, I don't believe this. He could go up, use the drop zone, make par, force a playoff with Jacobson, and get out of here. Easy, guys, now. He can still make a five. That's right. He can still make a five. We can still have a playoff. Stay you know. with him, Paulie. scene in this movie where he's leading the U.S. Open, getting to the last hole, and all he has to do is lag it up to the water, hit it over, make the putt and wins, or two putts and he ties. But it's just not in his nature to do that. And so you watch and everybody's watching with dismay and he's hitting one ball after the next in the water. And then you finally see Rene Russo just cracking up as his sidekick girlfriend and therapist. And she's just like, go for it. And the music comes on again, and he hits this most incredible shot. It goes in, and when that happens, I get chills, and I love it. You never forget that. I mean, he doesn't win, but boy, do people remember him. This is the last ball you got in the bag, Roy. You get this one wet, we're disqualified. 
I can make it across. Well, then do it. Quit fucking around. <laughs> oh, God. He's right. You're right, Roy. Just knock it on. Let her rip. <laughs> oh, Molly, you're losing oh, it. Oh, I have lost it. <laughs> so is he. <laughs> he's crazy. Honey, so are you. 11. Now, this is a 12, guys. Now he's got to start worrying about qualifying for next year's Open and the Masters here. He's lost this tournament. He'll end up selling Countess Maritais and renting golf carts the rest of his life. Look at this. I, I, I don't know, even know what I'm feeling right. This is the most painful thing I've ever seen. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, dear Lord, please. Oh, dear Lord. And then this is what makes a movie great. They bring in the right music and the right score to set the next scene. You get chills. When you hear that symphony playing like that, it kind of brings home something like Star Wars when they use the symphony as well. It really makes an impact. And what a great movie. The guy loses, but you can't stop talking about it. Man, it was so good. And Cheech Marin, the most unlikely character to play the caddy, just kills it with his scene-stealing lines. I mean, they just figured this one out. And again, this has become a classic. And then a year or so later, after three really funny golf movies hit the box office, another golf movie comes out, more like a dramedy in in the year 2000. We need someone from Savannah in the match. The Legend of Bagger Vance. It's another thinly veiled love story between actors Matt Damon and Sherry's Theron with a twist. Will Smith as the caddy. Now, Spike Lee coined this term magical Negro, which is somebody with special insights or powers often quasi-mystical nature, who helps the white protagonist. There are so many movies and books written about this type of character. And Will Smith pulls it off as well as anybody I've ever seen on screen. You lost your swing. We got to go find him. I heard my dad tell how you won every tournament there ever was. The journey you was, you ain't never gonna be again. Inside each and every one of us is something that's ours and ours alone. Yeah, I always felt a man's grip on his club just like a man's grip on his world. I mean, hell, I wanted him as my caddy. He was not just a caddy. I mean, he was a psychologist. He was a Zen master. Uh, man, he had some pretty witty lines. 
This is one of the few movies that I'll stop and watch even if it's on TV almost always. We all lose our swing along the way and some of us continue to search for it despite Father Time playing tricks on us. This movie was all about that, wrapped up in a story about a great young golfer, goes to war, gets PTSD, disappears for a decade, and then is refound. And Bagger Vance finds him and helps him find his swing. And there was that whole love story thing with, with Charisse Theron, and <laughs> who can't imagine that? What adds texture to me is it's narrated by an adult played by Jack Lemon, but he goes back and you could see him as a kid and he is the greatest fan of all. He went by the name of Hardy Greaves. And as a kid, he heard all the stories about the famous Randolph Juna, who was the greatest young golfer from Savannah. And this kid attaches himself to Randolph the entire movie. Ask anybody, it's fun, it's hard, and you stand out there on that green, green grass, and it's just you and the ball, and there ain't nobody to beat up on but yourself. This is the only game I know you can call penalty on yourself, if you're honest, which most people are. There just ain't no other game like it. And at the end of the movie, when Hardy Greaves, played by Jack Lemon, falls down, he's like in his 80s, and he's walking and he's playing golf, and gets up, and in the distance sees Bagger Vance. It becomes so mystical. Yeah, that's a good movie. The last of my favorite movies came out in 2005, The Greatest Game Ever Played. It was a story about the early life of Francis we met, and it was played like by Shia LeBeau, and what makes those two perfect is I can't pronounce either of their last names, but Disney produced it so you know they know the formula for success. You've got the protagonist who's the underdog, Francis we met. You've got this inner family strife between he and his hardworking blue-collar dad. You have this incredible personal golf talent over the top but the kid's an underdog. He has to believe in himself. And he's got this sidekick, little funny caddy who has some great lines. The musical score ties it together. And there's an insurmountable foe, the great golfer, Harry Varden, who was a major champion. So it had all the components and they delivered. There's a lot of talk about the great English champion sailing over here to play in our Open. We all know Harry Varden. I'm the best. And I'll thank you to remember that. Mr. Met, I can caddy for you. My bag is as big as you are. I can carry that bag. All right, you can caddy for me. What's that? The pig man? You got a problem? It seems impossible that this untested boy could hope to beat one seasoned champion. He was a long shot. Oh, my gosh. That's President Taft. How you doing there, Mr. President? But he saw the game in ways no one could imagine. The man's a peasant. Peasants do not win opens. If Mr. Weemuth wins tomorrow, it's because he's the best. Not because of who his father was. Not because of how much money he's got. Because of who he is. The greatest game ever played. To me, 
I know it's a great movie when the director, the producer, the actors, and the writers create these characters where I care about the outcome. I want the protagonist to win. And in all five of these movies, they did that. So here's my lineup again. Caddyshack, Happy Gilmore, Tin Cup, The Legend of Bagger Vance, and The Greatest Game Ever Played. And I only list them in the order in which they were produced and they were distributed. I'm not going to rank them because, quite frankly, it's not a competition, even though it's golf. You've been listening to Tales from the First Tee. I'm your host, Rich Easton, broadcasting from beautiful Charleston, South Carolina. And if you enjoy this podcast, I invite you to rate and review them on Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Podchaser, Podcast Addict. I mean, it's free. And all the cool kids are doing it. Talk to you soon.